And I'm Roger Hillerstrom, and this is Pink Chair Therapy. Rugged though it be. Welcome back to Pink Chair Therapy. So today we are on our third episode in a series that's been dedicated to addiction codependence and recovery first episode we hit kind of the experience of the addict and kind of giving some tips for uh, approaching recovery Mm -hmm. second episode we tackled the experience of the codependent and how that actually is an addiction of its own and and requires a recovery of its own so we tackled that and now today we're going to be wrapping up our little mini series on addiction codependence and recovery based on Lonnie's appointment and today we're going to be tackling the relationship between addict and codependent and those kind of parallel but also a little bit dichotomous recovery paths right right right. and just what the experience is between those two and what all those dynamics look like and feel like and just kind of explore that experience to kind of connect our Point A and point B. Right. Episode right. one and episode two. Yeah. So that's what we're doing today. Principle being that in that recovery in the relationship, we have two people that have their own recoveries. They have their own addiction. Right. One who's re- addicted to a substance or an activity or a behavior. And then one person that's addicted to a relationship. And so... Uh, the mix of those in recovery is real important. If a relationship's going to stay healthy and two people are going to get healthy. Right. Right, exactly. So last, uh, in our last episode, when we were tackling codependence, we paused at the point where you introduced this really interesting idea that I am fascinated by and just makes so much sense in my life because I have experienced two different, very different relationships with two very different addicts. Mm-hmm. and. And you introduced this idea of when an addict starts their addiction, when this addiction enters their life, their emotions are numbed. And so they stop experiencing and processing emotion and pain in a quote-unquote healthy, right, normal, right. if normal is a word we can use, way, yeah, right? right? And right. so their emotional age pauses in that, in that time. And mm-hmm. then when the same addict gets to this point of beginning recovery they begin experience emotions again. And so they've picked up their emotional maturity at a very young age. Right. Like they're not like right. a, if a 50-year-old is getting sober, he is not all of a sudden emotionally 50 years old. He is emotionally 15 when he started drinking. Right. Or he's processing emotions at that age. And that is just that's fascinating to me. Right. Especially as someone who's been in relationship with addicts and recovering addicts and and recognizing, oh my gosh, in those relationships when they reach this point of finally becoming sober or or you know, walking in recovery, all that frustration that I had in trying to process through recovery with them Mm -hmm. but i was approaching them at their current age i was approaching them at 
I'm saying this to you and you should understand what I'm saying <laughs> because you're this age. Mm, yeah. I never recognized until you told me last week or whenever that these people are however old they are emotionally, how old they were when they started their addiction. Right, and right. that just like like clicked a puzzle piece together for me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so i think that's i think that's a great place to start for that's us today a great place to start. of like yes. that like that experience between codependent or partner or whatever you want to call them and this addict who is emotionally quite immature compared to their current age and then right. what that experience is for both parties right right yeah that's absolutely let's start, start there okay so but let's go back to principle mm -hmm. all right okay principle being we develop throughout our life through various stages that are fairly predictable and every stage has an emotional task that needs to be accomplished. If that task is not accomplished, that means I enter the next stage at a deficit, what okay. we would call immature. Mm -hmm. So my example would be, you know, we won't go through all of them because, right. you know, that's several sessions worth. But if we think of like a, a toddler, a toddler, the, the, the emotional... Um, goal and task of toddlerhood is independence. And so they've been an infant, and they've been nurtured and close to mom all the time, and now they've learned to walk, what we call light switch high, and they start going away from mom and playing out there, and then they run back and they jump into mom's lap yeah. and she gives them a hug and then they wiggle loose as though they don't want it. Yeah. And so clearly they want both because they are in mid-range of, of accomplishing that task. Okay. We call that reproachment, you know, uh, developmentally. Mm -hmm. But if we talk about addiction, let's think about adolescence because many, often, uh, addictions begin in adolescence. The task of adolescence is autonomy. It's individuality. It's growing away from my, uh, my family of origin. And uh, by the time I'm 18 to 21, there's a little clock inside me, we'll think of it that way, right. that says, I gotta be on my own. I gotta know how to function in the adult world by the time I'm there. Mm -hmm. And so adolescence is a time of testing things out, of self-discovery, learning who I am and where I fit and what I do well and what I don't do well. I learn a lot of relational skills in adolescence. Now, each one of those things requires a certain level of anxiety, a certain amount of pain, a certain amount of fear. Uh, adolescence is a time of discomfort for right. most folks. Huh. Now, yeah. addiction is medicating pain. My, my, my mantra is an alcoholic doesn't, they don't drink because they're thirsty, they drink because they're scared. Right. They're, they're escaping something. Right. All right, so in adolescence, let's say, let's use word, uh, easy age 15, okay? 15-year-old starts to drink or smoke pot or look at porn or whatever it happens mm -hmm. to be. They are self-medicating, which means now they aren't experiencing the discomfort that leads to learning these various things. Right. So here we are. We're fixated. We are blocked emotionally. And so that development stops and it's substituted with these escapes, whatever they happen to be. Now we're going through adulthood. Let's make this guy 35 years old. Okay. Now he's got a 35 year old who emotionally stopped much of his development at 15 and now he's gonna get sober because his wife isn't gonna stay with him and his life isn't manageable and he's said, okay, now I'm gonna get sober. So he stops the self-medication. Right. Uh, he's gonna begin feeling things 
he hasn't felt for years. Right. He's going to start observing things that he just hasn't been in a place to observe about himself and about other people, which is going to be very uncomfortable. Right. It's going to be very uncomfortable. And so that's why we look at a, a newly recovering addict has a developmental age approximately the same as when he started his addiction. Right. Okay, so now that's the addict, addict part of it. Right. Now, this 35-year-old has been married for, you know... 10 years, 15 okay. years. He's married to someone who almost by definition will be what we're calling a, a codependent. Right. Meaning they have been able to compensate for his lack of development. Their personalities fit each other well. But this is a person then who overfunctions. This is a person who does what needs to be done to make this other person's life work well function now if this relationship is going to continue in a healthy direction that means both of these people have some major changes to make whereas the addict needs to not just stop drinking or smoking or whatever he needs to start feeling those uncomfortable things and learning how you deal with them this codependent is no longer going to be needed the way they were needed before. As a matter of fact, all those really nice things that they did yeah. for so long are now going to be more and more clearly unhealthy for the two of them. And unhelpful, right? Unhelpful. Because as, as a codependent, if a codependent continues functioning or overfunctioning like they were, this is not only unhelpful, but it's a bit undermining, right? A Absolutely. bit destructive. It pushes us back. Exactly. Yeah. So it it can it kind of pushes the addict to continue under functioning, yes. right? Yes. Okay. Right. Now, um, we had talked about a, a mobile. Okay, hanging mobile. I just think it's a great yes. metaphor. So let's think, reintroduce it. Let's okay, the let's idea reintroduce really quick. it. Right. So a hanging mobile, little piece of art you have in your house. It has a bunch of little sticks and strings and little cute. Yep. things that hang from them. And if you just don't touch it, just leave it alone, it has this equilibrium that we like to watch. It's peaceful, it's calm, and um, it will remain that way as long as you never change anything. Don't touch it. Right. As soon as you touch it, you then take this equilibrium and you create chaos. Mm -hmm. So if I flick this piece down here, the whole mobile goes off because every piece is dependent on every other piece. Right. And when I move a piece over, first there's chaos. It's always chaos when you touch an interdependent system, outside force. Okay. Move this piece over. Eventually, it will find its new equilibrium. Mm -hmm. But in its new equilibrium, every piece is in a new, piece, new place yeah. relative to the other piece. Everything shifted. It's a great picture of a family. It's a great picture of relationships. Now, the... The, the addict who is now getting sober, he is making a major shift on his piece of this mobile. He is moving it over saying, no, I'm gonna become sober. It's all good, that's very, very positive, but what happens is, movie piece, chaos. Right. We don't know how to relate to each other anymore, but we do know it's gonna be good. All yes. right? So now we got this. Eventually. Right, but that codependent has his or her own piece on this mobile that now also has to move like it or not, and it moves in the midst of this chaos. So that the goals of interaction in a in a relationship that's in recovery, those goals have shifted in a major way, and usually we're not so consciously aware of it. Mm -hmm. We're just trying to make things work. But that means for the addict, 
His goal is to experience life and discover himself and be able to engage in relationship on a deeper level and not escape, not keep running away from things. The codependent, their task is to learn to not measure their success by someone else's response. If I do it right, this other person will do X, Y, Z. That's a major change. Mm -hmm. That means, oh, you're changing your identity right. from being a reflection of someone else to being a standalone, autonomous individual. Yeah. <laughs> Heck of a job. Yeah. Especially since you don't realize you've been doing it. And mm. especially since all the things that you do as a codependent are nice things. They're very nice. They're good things. They're very nice. Right. Right. Yeah. right. And so, and... If you start changing that way, then you have to realize, oh, unfortunately, I can't keep blaming the other person for how I'm functioning. It's all your fault because you drink or you do X, Y, Z. Yeah. And if I start changing that goal, then I have to see, oh my goodness, I'm responsible for my behavior. Mm -hmm. I'm responsible for everything I do. And it's not because they're doing this or that. Right. Again, those two are major shifts in this mobile, and this mobile is going to be crazy for a while. Right. So, a lot of times it's kind of hard to uh, um, hard to picture that, but one person is learning kind of adolescent autonomy, the other person is learning healthy autonomy. Trouble is for the for the um, kind of the over functioning codependent, it's going to feel real selfish. It's going to really right. feel that. Wait a minute, I'm not. I'm not making this person's life work well. Yeah. I'm paying way more attention to what I want or what I feel. And I've spent my whole life doing the opposite. And it's easy to experience that as being real negative. Yeah. And really the, the way to conceive it, conceptualize it is when I have been managing this addict, that has been very selfish. I want them to function a certain way so my life will work well. Yeah. We just don't think of it that way. Right. Now... If our relationship is going to be healthy, that means I need to learn some self-care, some what we call self-nurturance. Yeah. I've got to take better care of myself than I have been. Well, that's going to create some tension in the other person because I'm not doing what I used to do. Right. You know? I'm not going to lie for them. I'm not going to pick up after them, whatever it happens to be. There's yeah. hundreds of ways Let we me, do that. Yeah, I have a picture from my own life of like yes. this picture that I know you're familiar with because I've told you, yep. but I think it fits really well here of like this and just to give a maybe a bit more of like a solid example. Yeah. Right? It was this example of like I was in a relationship with an alcoholic and I, as a codependent, <laughs> very codependent, which looking back, in the moment I think I knew I was codependent, or my actions were codependent, but I also didn't didn't grasp it the way I grasp it in this moment, right? <laughs> That's the way it works. But so I was in a relationship with an alcoholic. Right. And I knew that during the day he would go to a bar for lunch because he needed food for lunch. <laughs> right. And he would always have a beer or two or three or however many during lunch. And so at some point in our relationship, I decided it would be really nice of me to make him lunch. What? Inside of me, my codependent spirit was like, if I make him a sandwich every single day, he will not go to the bar for lunch. Okay, so I'm going to control, I'm going to control this piece because I know that if I make him lunch, he'll eat it and he won't have to go to the bar 
to get lunch, which means he won't drink during the day, and this is good. What a great idea. This is so good. Sweet thing to do. Yes, it's sweet. It is. Very nice. It controls what I need to control. It's obviously unhealthy right now, but in the moment it was like... Seemed like a good idea at the time. Yes, this is good. Let me help him function properly. (laughs) I'm going to over-function. So, let me make a sandwich. And then... In therapy, in my own therapy, I realized, whoa, this is wrong. (laughs) So I tried to stop making sandwiches. I tried to stop making him lunches. And it was so hard. And I think the hard part about it for me was just letting go of that control, right? Letting Mm -hmm. go of that, like... That expectation, just feeling that uncertainty, like feeling that overcompetence with just turning the mirror back around on me and saying, okay, in this moment you're feeling anxiety, in this moment you don't know what's going on with him, you don't know, you know, you can't control this anymore, Mm -hmm. your finger isn't in this pot, you know, you're not, you're not controlling this. Even though you weren't anyway with the lunches, like I wasn't controlling yeah, right. anything. Right. But uh, taking my hand out of the pot and just looking at myself and being able to, in those moments, just. Yeah. Okay. Like, how do I take care of myself in this anxiety ridden moment right. of I can't control this? <laughs> you know? That, that uh, I mean, it's so hard, right? But you have to, in that moment, be so convinced that what you're doing now is healthy and what you're doing then is unhealthy. Right. That's a big leap just by itself. Just on its own. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I cannot keep doing this. But wait a minute. What if it really was helpful? Yes, exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. And then what if what if I can keep telling myself that I'm just being nice? Right. I'm just being a good partner. Right. You know, like when I stop making lunch, now I'm an butthole. <laughs> <laughs> but so the the key which is so much easier said than done. And you're looking yeah. back retrospectively right. and we're not talking, you know, about in the moment. But if the goal is a healthy relationship, long term, mm-hmm. out there someplace, mm-hmm. you doing that keeps it unhealthy. Even though it's a fine thing to do, mm-hmm. but it does not create an atmosphere where this person has to change, where they have to deal with their addiction. Now, you not doing it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to deal with their addiction. Right. But there's one less reason for them to do that. And you are measuring your success by how they're doing which is an illusion of control. You really aren't in control. But that's the way codependency works. Totally. It is an illusion. And the longer you do it, the more you do it, the more addicted you become to solving this person's problem. And it's not solving the problem. So that's where it's so slippery for the codependence. There's no guarantee right. that you stopping to do that is going to create something. But there's pretty much a guarantee that there's that much fewer motivations for this other person to change as long as you keep doing that. Right. So the goal is healthy me, healthy relationship, exactly. potentially. Right. Certainly a healthier you, potentially a healthy relationship. Right. But bad news is it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. <laughs> because then yes. the sandwich thing is 
Well, he will be going to the bar. Probably. Exactly. You know, and unless he is in that place where he wants to change, making a sandwich is really not changing the system. No. So it is huge. Although I would bet that a huge part of our listening audience uh-huh. so identifies with it. Yeah, because, I mean, it may not be making lunches. Right. It may be hundreds of other right. functions right. that you're overcompensating for. But I think making lunches is just kind of more of like a physical, right. really tangible picture. Yep. Now, the key, the variable, the connector between all these individuals is... What am I doing in order for that person to not drink Mm -hmm. in the moment? Mm -hmm. Because I'm not doing it for the rest of their life. It's not going to change that. And that's where we need to come to grips with this codependence. I have a question. Just thinking about my own experience. As Okay, this is totally off. Not off topic, but just a totally different topic. But I want to see if it will fit in. Right. As the partner of a sexual addict, mm-hmm. it's very different than alcohol. It's very different than heroin. It's very different than any substance, right? The sexual addiction. But when we as partners start, I don't know, doing our hair differently, make doing our makeup better, you know, worrying about our appearance, worrying about being what our partner wants sexually because mm-hmm. we know they have a sexual addiction and we think, oh, if I just look like what they're looking for in these other people or these you know pornographic images right is that kind of the same as making a sandwich it's very much the same it's very much the same there's nothing wrong with taking care paying of attention to your uh, you know your makeup change your hairstyle etc all those things are very loving things to do for a partner just like making sandwiches is a very loving thing to do for a partner yeah the issue is what am I believing? Why am I doing the this? The driving force behind it. Exactly. The driving force behind, uh, you know, doing all these things for a sexual addict is I'm the variable. Mm-hmm. That's the mindset is okay. if I could just do this, they would not be pursuing pornography. Well, they are not pursuing pornography because of you. Any more than an alcoholic is drinking because they're thirsty. Yes. They are escaping something. And so... Absolutely fine to do all those things. There's nothing wrong with that. Even making a sandwich. Even making a sandwich. It's exactly right. (laughs) But don't kid yourself. Beware of believing that if I do this well, they will give up pornography. That's not why they're into pornography. And giving up pornography is something that's going to be very difficult, and it is up to them. And I think that's a slippery place in, in this addict a codependent relationship is a codependence task. The way they keep this unhealthy relationship going is putting themselves in a place where I am the variable I can that will make anything. you well. Right. right. And oh, no, 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 that needs to be done differently. Mm-hmm. And so the behavior is fine. It's no crime in it. It's not bad. Do you really believe that you are going to be the solution? Uh, now we're getting into your own addiction. Right. You know, you're doing yes. this for the wrong reason. Okay. It yeah. So, so just slippery. as a codependent, I'm just thinking from a codependent like mindset and yeah. and perspective of kind of paying attention to almost every single thing I'm doing. Right. You know, in in correlation to this relationship 
that is probably based around an addiction, being able to pay attention to almost every single thing I'm doing and right. like, and analyzing, okay, wait, why am I doing this? <laughs> Do I really think I'm just being a good partner or am I doing this to try to change something in you right? or control something in you or, you know, right? Uh, affect something in you right. or am I truly doing it? For myself you right. know am i doing it to better myself or am i doing it to better you right because that's yeah. where the differential is and it's hard to recognize thin line i think it took yeah. me a long time to recognize the lunch thing yeah and then it, and and i've honestly never thought even in this moment i've never really thought about like my needing to look a different way or yeah. anything like that Mm-hmm. as a codependent action which i feel like that's pretty obvious but i just have never thought of it that way before right. yeah and i think there's a lot of women i talk to now in my recovery groups and connections who you know they mm-hmm. still it's so hard in a sexual addiction to believe that if you just are available sexually more right it'll fix him yeah because that's what he says Yes. And that's what you believe. <laughs> right. If you were only available sexually, right. we would be fine. Right. Obviously, that's not true. Right. But, right. Hopefully, it's obvious. Hopefully, it's <laughs> if it's not obvious, yet, keep watching keep our talking. videos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, but that's that's a really really unfortunate yeah. um, thing, and I think our society also kind of perpetuates that idea of like if you know, if you're if you're sex- more sexually available, this won't be an addiction. This right. won't be a problem. Right. Okay, 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 wait. Yeah. <laughs> That's not true. Right. But that is a very, very codependent mindset. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I, I think of it as being very slippery because mm-hmm. it, these are good behaviors that lead to bad outcomes. And also fitness, too. That's the other thing, too. And it goes along the same lines of I'm just totally in this sexual mindset right now. Right, right. But, like, this, this you know, when you are with a porn or sexual addict I know a lot of women who have just jumped into fitness you know like oh okay well you know even if I'm not necessarily like sexually available which is something that takes a long time to to you know figure out right but like but if I look better if I'm fitter if I just exercise more if I do this if I have the body that he's looking at in these pornography videos or you know seeking out in other women if I just have this body then he'll you know be interested in me or whatever oh my gosh my mind is so yeah we could go in a lot of different directions with this but if we just stay on that same track the in pornography Mm -hmm. you have an image that gives the illusion of relationship mm-hmm. all right so uh, that that's the the point is that uh there is this illusion that you are in relationship with this person now you understand i understand hopefully everyone understands that person on the screen is not real right. they're not real they've right. had makeup artists that have been working on them for hours right. and we have lots of things we can do about that yeah, yeah. And there's no relationship, which means there's no risk. There's no intimacy. There's no rejection. There's nothing like that. And all of those components go into this pornography that becomes sexual arousing with no strings, nothing, you know, that is about relationship. You as a spouse, you as a loved one, a significant other cannot be that because you're a real live person in relationship. People are addicted to pornography because they're escaping all that stuff. Exactly. They don't want relationships. They don't want the risk. They don't want the potential rejection. 
you can never be that to the other person in anything even reasonably healthy. Mm -hmm. So that's where this illusion that ends up being on both parties' part. For the addict, the sexual addict, they are avoiding anything that's relational and then substituting this arousal for the for the codependent, they are believing if I can just be that image, which no one can ever be, then I will be everything this person needs. There's so many layers of delusion mm. in yeah. that. Yeah. And so for the spouse or the loved one, the codependent, to begin getting out of that is a very, very slippery place. It yeah. means really identifying the fact that I am competing with something that is not real anywhere on the planet. It's not real. And that's what I'm trying to fight. I gotta stop the fight. Mm -hmm. I am what I am. Now, certainly there's always ways we can grow. Ways we can go relationally in the way we communicate, the way we listen, the way we respond to conflict, the way we um, interact. Those are all things that are worth working on. They may not result in a change in the addict. Right. They may not. But you will become healthier mm -hmm. and you will, you will open up the door to the potentially healthier relationship if the other person deals with their own desire to escape in right. this way. Yeah. So what you, you cannot change the addict. What you can change is the atmosphere, the potential in the relationship, and how healthy you are emotionally. That you can do. Right. Now, if both people are working with their own addictions, that's the best of all worlds. Right. It's not going to be easy. That mobile is going to be shaking for a while. But we at least are heading in a mutual direction where our goal is a healthy relationship because two individuals are getting healthier. Right. Now, the other variable is... Nobody's perfect. So it's not going to be a perfect relationship. Right. But that's where we have to set goals in terms of what are we, what's reasonable to expect. You know, mm -hmm. sobriety is reasonable to expect. You know, for me to be uh, less reactive and less rescuing and less solving, that's, that's reasonable to expect. It just doesn't happen quickly. Right. And so one of the things that are a big part of that is this whole concept of boundaries. Boundaries. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because... If I as codependent are changing, that means there are things that I'm no longer going to do that I've done all my life. Right. You know, there are no there are needs in you that I'm no longer going to meet because they feed this addiction. Right. You know, uh, and maybe that means making no more making sandwiches. Maybe I think for the codependent, the boundaries revolve around let's say not doing something that wasn't all that unhealthy to begin with. But it wasn't healthy for us. Right. It, it wasn't healthy. The, the underlying the underlying motivation of it was not healthy. Right. The action might have been healthy. The outward action might have been health healthy or just neutral, fine. Right. But right. the underlying motivation of it was right. unhealthy. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And so a boundary means I as a codependent am setting setting some limits as to what I will do or won't do or etc. with you, the addict. For the addict, setting boundaries is probably more about I'm no longer going to do this thing that I do in order for me to stop this escaping. And then I've got to figure out boundaries that I'm going to implement in order to stay sober, in order to manage my own anxiety and manage my behaviors, etc. Right. So both peoples have these boundaries. For the codependent, a lot of times it's a little harder to measure because the things that I am setting boundaries are about um, behaviors that aren't automatically, intrinsically unhealthy and things that I will no longer um, tolerate from you. 
So, you know, in a lot of times in an addictive relationship, there are these um, communication dynamics that people get in cycles where it's an attack and defend or, a, you know, accuse and, and excuse, those kind of things. Yeah. That a lot of times boundaries mean, okay, I as codependent will no longer engage in these conversations. So when I point out something that is bothering me, here's something that really hurts me when you do X, Y, Z, and you immediately put it back on me, it's because of me. It may very well be that my boundaries need to be, I will no longer engage in those conversations. I'm not gonna defend myself, I'm not gonna excuse, I'm not gonna put it back on you, but I'm not gonna have this interaction. Oof. Well, oh, that's a major change. That's huge. It is. Because then the addict will become more and more helpless. They will feel more helpless. And depending right. on how they manage their helplessness, right. they may escalate. What looked like an accusation now may look like rage, mm. you know. And so for the codependent, oh my gosh, now i got to deal with fear. Whereas it was shame a minute ago, now it's terror, you know. Okay, well... But this is what it looks like to be on the path to a healthy relationship. Well, and even in those re in those interactions, it would be so hard, again, coming from a codependent point of view, like it would be so hard to not just back down. Yes. And that's what I've done so many times in my past relationships, you know, like just yeah. like drawing a boundary. And I'm sure this is not a, only my experience, but you draw a boundary and then it goes over poorly. Yeah, <laughs> The right. rage comes out, the whatever comes out, the tantrum comes out, whatever it looks like. Yeah. And you say, okay, never mind, never mind, never mind. Right, it's not worth it. No, yeah, never mind, it's right. fine. Right. Let's, let's go get a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Have a drink and calm down. Yeah. Well, that's why we talked about earlier that goal of a healthy relationship or a healthy me has to be so clear and so distinct. Because in that moment, when that mobile is shaking, you have to be real convinced that the goal is worth it. Because the tendency is, like you're saying, is, oh, it's not worth it. It's yeah. not worth this. Okay, okay, I'll go back to my old pattern. Mm -hmm. And we will call that relapse for the codependent. Right. Understand relapse is part of growth. So you don't just okay. make a decision and now I'm done uh, for the rest of my life. It's, no, it's going to go back and forth. This growth is going to be like this. Right. Yeah. That's very comforting, actually. Yeah. And yeah. I hope that's comforting for more people than just me. Because, yeah. like, as <laughs> right. knowing in my own recovery as a codependent, there's been so much, ro like, roller coaster back and forth oh, of, yeah. you know, and it feels like failure. Yeah. It totally right. feels like failure in that moment. But right. just recognizing, like, no, this is the process. Right. Calm, right. calm down. It's okay. You're not a failure. Just, just go back. Just so. Here's a rule of thumb. Okay. Little sideline. Yeah. Um, change, mm -hmm. changing a behavior or a pattern or anything. So, um, to decide today that I'm going to change, you know, where where I put my coffee cup. Now it's going to be here instead of here. I got to learn it. But you know, for 25 years I've put it here. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to put it here. I should expect, and again, this is what the research says. I don't know the background of the research, but study after study after study came up with the same numbers. Oh. For me, to change this habit is going to take between 18 and 25 failures in order to be normal. That's the range. Whoa. So if my secretary has been putting my notes here for 10 years, and now I say, listen, I really need my notes put here. Ah. So tomorrow morning, my notes are here. That's great. The morning after, they're back over here. If I get really frustrated because it's supposed to be changed, oh, I'm missing the point. It has nothing to do with her motivation, has nothing to do with how well she works. This is what it takes. If she can do that with less than 18 to 25 
reversals rather than calling failures, you mm-hmm. know, relapses, whatever. Less than that, she's ahead of the curve. She's above normal, all right? If it takes more than 25, we would say, okay, something's missing in the system. We need to tweak something here. But how many of us give ourselves that kind of grace Mm -hmm. 18 to 25 times before I integrate a new system? Mm. But that's what it takes. So oh, I love this. Relax. It's yeah. going to take a while. This yeah. mobile is going to be shaking. You're going to go back to the way you did it, not because it's all over and you have failed, but because you're in the process of making that change. 18, 25. Yeah. You went less than 18, you're a rock star. Yeah. You're way ahead, of this, yeah. you're way, way ahead of the bend here. Wow. But more than 25 still is not failure. It's, okay, what am I doing that's slowing this process down? What needs to, yeah. But before 18 to 25... Don't even ask the question. This yeah. is the way it works. Yeah. So yeah, it is. It is very slow, and hopefully, our, our listeners can can take that in. Mm-hmm. That this is a process. Mm-hmm. It's not fast. Mm-hmm. But just because I relapse doesn't mean the game's over. It doesn't mean that I'm unmotivated and I'm just a failure waiting to happen. Right. <sighs> this is what the process yeah. looks like. So I set a boundary. I'm no longer going to respond this way. I'm going to do it this way. Okay, I do it a couple of times, feel good about it. And then I fall, fall back into the old pattern. Mm-hmm. That is that is part of the process. Mm-hmm. I recommit, do it, start working on it. Wow. It makes it very difficult because you're working with another partner who may not be invested in you making that very change. And so they may invest it in drawing you back, mm-hmm. consciously or unconsciously, back to that old pattern, which says, all right, I would... Up that eighteen to twenty-five a little bit, <laughs> because you're going uphill here, right. and there are there are energies working against your growth. Yeah, and so just know it's going to take time. Yeah, yeah. I guess time. that's another a whole other dynamic. Is if you are an addict, if you are an addict in recovery, living with the codependents who have lived with you forever whether it's your parents or your right. friends or your partner or whoever it is even your kids you know like right and they are not committed to recovery yes they don't even know that they're supposed to be in recovery so they're not committed to recovery man that is that is i feel like that's probably a very common experience for addicts i think it's very common that's rough because typically an addict has more than one codependent in their life exactly. they're surrounded by them. Yeah. and maybe there's one codependent now who is like a spouse who is now committed to changing with you well there's other folks on the horizon who may be very very much mm-hmm. invested in uh, calming things down being nurturing being you know nice etc right. so they keep their same behavior which slows down your progress they have no doesn't idea. have to you know, you, you are not dependent on them to change in order for you to change, but it will take that much more effort. Stay vigilant, you know, stay in tune with your goal of sobriety. Wow. Don't fall back in old patterns. It's just difficult because yeah. it is relational. And then same thing with the, the codependent is if you're a codependent who has committed to recovery in yourself and you're in relationship with an addict who is not, who is still stuck in this denial and shame and guilt cycle, you know, of like, this is not, that is even, even almost more so. Yeah. Not going to happen. Well, and there the painful decision comes down to, as I said, boundaries. Mm -hmm. And those boundaries are not effective relationally, Mm -hmm. even though they may be effective for me. It may very well be that it brings me to a place of making a decision as to whether this relationship is going to change. And 
am I willing to stay in a relationship that is perpetually in this unhealthy place that I keep working against it and I'm making these changes in myself and the relationship gets more and more and more disruptive as I become healthy. Somewhere along the line, I got to make decisions about, is it worth it? What is the hope? Where is the goal? Um, that's typically where relationships break down. I know. Yes, absolutely. And that's where I'm thinking when two people are involved in their own recovery, there's lots of hope. There's Mm -hmm. lots of hope, lots of traction. But when one person clearly is is only invested in getting the relationship back to where it used to be, Mm -hmm. then that individual who's in recovery needs to make decisions as to, Am I willing to go back to what I used to be yeah. in order for this relationship to function? Yeah. And for lots of folks, the answer is no, I'm not willing to do that. Mm-hmm. And while that's really sad, that is what moving forward is going to look like. Yeah. It's hard, hard decisions to make. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Wow. Well, there will always be lots more to talk about. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I think, I think covered we're... we covered it pretty well. Yeah, I think we're at a good, like, pausing yeah, point. Yeah, I think so. Is there anything else that we... You know, there's dozens of things. Yeah. There's probably no end to it. But one of the things that I'm looking forward to is as our listeners um, come back with questions mm-hmm. and uh, thoughts and their own input, we can revisit this in the future. Absolutely. We can go back and say, okay, so here's a question or a statement from someone. Let's take a session and just deal with this. Mm-hmm. And so we'll touch we'll touch with this over time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, I think that's a good place for us to pause or not even pause, but... We're done. <laughs> For now. Cut this off, you know. Um, I've yeah. really enjoyed this whole uh, little mini, mini series on addiction and recovery right. and codependence and all that stuff. Yeah. So if you guys have any questions, I know I've said this every week, but if you have questions, feel free to leave them in the comments. Feel free to DM them to me. At some point in the future, we will be doing a follow-up video just based on kind of a question and answer time right. compiling whatever questions you guys come back with whether it's about addiction or codependence yeah. or that dynamic or if you have personal questions related to your own story we can totally tackle that stuff so just submit your questions and comments even we can bounce off that and we'll we'll tackle those at some point in the future just as a follow-up video i would like to give a special shout out again one last time to lonnie oh yeah thank you so much girl for being willing to be vulnerable i mean obviously hardly any of this was directly related to your personal story but just being willing to bring up the topic of addiction in your own life and how it affected you and being able for us to start this conversation that just right. went and went and went. <laughs> but I think it went really good places. Great. So yeah, thank so. you for being vulnerable and yeah. being willing to do that. And tell Matt, thank you as well. Okay. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. See you next time. Brand new. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Bye.